you're listening to Growing Matters, the podcast dedicated to providing you with all the information and research you need to improve your farm and business. Well, hi everyone and welcome to Growing Matters. Today we've got a very special guest for you, Emily Rigby from Mapleton in Queensland. Emily's received enough field scholarship to investigate protected cropping in subtropical climates. As part of her research, she's travelled to Spain, Italy, the USA, Costa Rica, China and Israel. Hi Emily and thank you for joining us today on Growing Matters. Now could you start by sharing with us what you were researching for your Nuffield Scholarship? I really wanted to look at protected cropping or greenhouse production, specifically in subtropical climates. Although I did focus more on the humid subtropical climate, the barriers to adoption, I sort of wanted to have a look at what was the latest technology out there and definitely not just limiting to the high tech. So looking at some of the innovative ways that growers were manipulating the microclimate in their greenhouses or their polytunnels or even just shade netting. What was actually quite interesting that I found the level of education of whoever was in charge of the farm. But the cost of repair, of course, came up as well and then just looking at what insurance was available to repair the damage so there was quite a few different factors that I wasn't expecting and I really did expect sort of to do the research to come out that investing in the highest level of technology the biggest cash outlay was going to be the best option but that's not what I found as a common opinion from the variety of different people I visited which was from researchers and academics at universities to some pretty lucky farms and everything in between. So it was interesting, that diversity of different people, different levels of technology. And then, of course, looking at some of the research institutions where money isn't necessarily an issue at all, but also trying to work out how that research actually relates back to farmers, where they can implement that research easily and, and productively on their farm. Wow. It sounds like you've covered quite a lot. What would you say was one of your motivating factors for this research? So I was interested to see how other people were doing it around the world. One, to have a look at some of the the great technology that was out there, but also to have a look at what were some of the cheaper alternatives where you still were able to manipulate that growing environment, but not spending a ridiculous amount on your capital investment to begin with. So Emily, through your travels and research in this area, did you find ways of doing protective cropping in a more effective way? I did. One of the interesting areas that I found was forest farming conditions and that's where you actually cultivate a high-valued crop species underneath the canopy of another what could be a timber or could be producing fruit or nuts or something like that. You can also have livestock underneath where you've sort of got this multi-cropping scenario and that was probably the lowest cost that I came across because you're actually just either using an existing area that already has be cultivated on it and you're cultivating underneath it, which was something that I'd looked into because this, um, this umbrella fern was an understory crop. But what happens then is you reach a whole new set of challenges in matching the cover crop or the, the canopy crop with the understory crop. And But I did see it done very well in Costa Rica and in Florida, which was definitely sort of what I coined like a zero-tech form of protected cropping and I did actually speak to some researchers at 
some conferences where I saw where people were getting a lot more technical and actually developing models that would help people select what would be an appropriate canopy crop or understory crop, depending on what it was that they wanted to grow. And that looked at actually quantifying and making more like a mathematical model to determine what would be appropriate combinations of crop to grow together. And that form of cultivation has a number of other benefits where one, you've got more than one crop to rely on for your income, but you've also got reduced environmental impact by not having monocultures, but also having, if you've got timber crop, for example, you're going to be able to protect the soil better because it's shaded so it's cooler. You've got less moisture loss. You've got a certain degree of compost from leaf litter falling, and you've also got erosion control. And then you've got more of a diverse, more diverse in the environment, not just when it comes to the plants, but also perhaps when it comes to animals and insects that could live there. So you've got more of a balanced ecosystem. And one of the benefits in developing countries, of course, is that you've got multiple sources of income. So perhaps you wanted to plant a coffee plantation or a timber plantation, but you can cultivate something under those under that canopy while you're waiting for them to reach maturity. It's a little bit difficult to replicate that in Australia, I think. There's probably more capital expenditure available in Australia, I think there's more of a tendency to go to a greenhouse and grow that monoculture crop in a greenhouse. I was definitely intrigued and surprised by probably the highest level of hygiene I actually saw in Costa Rica because they've got such high disease pressures with their high humidity levels. That's really fascinating, Emily. Was there any other types of technology that you were impressed with? And I guess different to what we've already got here in Australia? When I was in Israel, I saw a new technology called Root, which looks at optimizing the temperature around the root zone of the plant as opposed to heating or cooling the air in the greenhouse. They actually look at controlling the temperature around the root zone. I do think it's still important to control the leaf temperature and therefore you do need to control the air temperature within your greenhouse, but it's definitely a good way to reduce the fluctuations in the soil temperature. And so they actually just have these coils in the earth and they were having really good results in Israel, like out in out in the desert. So basically where they were unable to grow crops through summer because it was just too hot, they were actually being able to extend their growing season and grow year round where other farmers don't grow anything at that time of year. A fascinating technology to see because you're not using a lot of electricity. One of the other things that I found fascinating was actually like a track and track system that was being used in a nursery in Florida, which they developed themselves using RFID. So they were a a potted colour plant nursery. They had high levels of automation. They developed their own RFID tracking software system. It was actually amazing the way that they just knew where everything was and they took the human error out of filling orders and things like that. They had developed it themselves and they also had in real time exactly how many plants they had everywhere. There were some dehumidifiers as well in Israel that seemed really efficient for humidity control in the greenhouse. And I do believe they're now available in Australia. I met with the researcher who designed the dry drug air unit and they looked like a quite a promising technology because they don't use as much power as some of their competitors and they're a standalone unit as well. And so you generally have one per greenhouse, depending on the size of your greenhouse. And that 
and working in humid subtropical environments. That was a great technology. And then, of course, what's becoming fairly well known in Australia is the Cravo retractable greenhouses, which areas with storms and cyclones and hurricanes because the Cravo structures can withstand winds under cyclone conditions. And so instead of losing your greenhouse during you know, a hurricane or a cyclone event, these structures can actually withstand really high speed winds. And I do know a couple of farmers up in North Queensland who've actually invested in these structures. And I think there's even some cherry growers in Tasmania that have actually invested in the Cravo in those structures. And I did definitely see them in Florida where even while I was there, just some of the storms and there was a small hurricane and just the damage that is done to the greenhouse structures almost at any level of technology when you're looking at that structure, unless you go up to the Cravo structure and withstand those high winds. There's a few other negative aspects in regards to, for example, trying to heat the greenhouse. If you've got the retractable screens, there's always going to be gaps, so you don't have as efficient heating capability or even just trying to close the screens at night in order to trap the warm air. You've always got some gaps because of that retractable structure. But then there's other benefits that in the early hours of the morning or the later hours in the afternoon, you can open up those structures to allow more light in to dry the leaf surface, which can also assist in reducing fungal disease pressures. It's like investing in an insurance policy, and that's definitely how I see investing in protected cropping. It it is your insurance policy by protecting your crops, whether it's a really simple structure where you're excluding rain or hail or birds from your crop up to the more higher tech where you're actually controlling for extreme weather events, climate variability. There's just so many potential benefits by investing in protected cropping in order to be able to reliably produce high quality and high yielding plants under that protected cropping structure. I love how you've just called that an insurance policy. It's really a great way of putting it. I definitely see it that way. Okay then, so tell me about some of the highlights of the trip. My highlights would be the root technology for cooling or reducing temperature fluctuations in the root zone and definitely looking at forest farming as a potential, as a really sort of zero-tech form of protected cropping, but also just looking at really simple and cheap options even when it comes to just monitoring your crop and monitoring the microclimate and looking at ways that you can just improve the environment, so controlling the temperature the humidity, being able to exclude pests or to use integrated pest management and biological controls in the greenhouse. What was quite fascinating was to have a look at all of the different ways that you can optimise your productivity and reduce losses by really simple and cost-effective options, whether it was just education and monitoring or being able to use innovative approaches to solve some of those what seems like difficult problems, but perhaps being able to control your temperature and humidity in the greenhouse, and then you're reducing a lot of those disease pressures. So Emily, if a grower wanted to change something on their farm, going on your research, what would you actually suggest to them? 
definitely looking at some climate or environmental sensors that can assist you to really understand exactly what the climate is in your greenhouse so that you know when you should be venting, whether it's automated or manual. It's actually knowing, not just guessing at what the environmental conditions are and how you can optimize that no matter what level of technology that you have. I definitely think, again, it comes back to monitoring is using integrated pest management strategies where you're more monitoring for your pest and controlling that microclimate. If you can improve that climate, then you're going to reduce your disease pressures. The third option would just be really education. So being aware of what technology is out there and being aware of exactly how the different conditions that you're providing to that plant, whether it's the soil medium, your irrigation schedule, what fertilizer you use, different pesticides, what impact does that have on your crop quality? And just understanding exactly how photosynthesis works. How does that affect your yield by the different conditions that you're providing for your plant? So if you're letting the temperature get too high, obviously that's going to have an effect on your, your photosynthesis. By improving your soil media, you can build resistance in your crop. You can improve your irrigation scheduling. Emily, this has been a fascinating discussion. Now, before we let you go, is there anything else you wanted to mention for other growers to know about when looking at effective cropping? I believe it's a real holistic approach and being able to provide the best conditions for that plant where you've got a healthy, vigorous plant, you know, you're going to have less issues when it comes to disease, you're going to have higher yields, you're going to have higher mineral content in that fruit or vegetables and then you're in turn going to have better shelf life. One of the fantastic opportunities that Nuffield provides is the sharing of knowledge. Some of the innovative people and we try different methods and some of them work in some of them don't, but we often don't share them because we want to keep that close to our chest because that's that, um, sort of a, a marketing edge that we have or a production edge. But I think if we share some of the new processes that we've come up with or things that we've trialed and work, things that we trial that don't work, I think we would all be so much further ahead if we were willing to be a lot more open and share our knowledge. Nuffield's definitely opened doors for me that I didn't even know existed. It's been a fantastic life journey and couldn't have done it without the support of Hort Innovation. It means a lot to me to have that support and for Hort Innovation and for Nuffield to provide these opportunities. Well, Emily, thanks so much for sharing your exciting journey and research with us. Well, I hope you've all enjoyed this episode with Emily Rigby. If you did, make sure to follow Growing Matters on your favourite podcast app. That way you'll find out the moment a new episode has been released. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Growing Matters. Don't forget to visit us over at horticulture.com.au and join our free membership. Get instant access to the very latest information available to help your farm and business grow. 